They're going to kill the king. The Davidic line of kings is going to end. Everything that you know and love is going to end. And he says, that's really sad, and it's emotional. It's not just, oh, that's over. And he even writes a book called Lamentations, you know, which is all about how sad it is that endings happen. So he says there's an ending coming, but he also says, but there's a beginning coming. When God has got rid of physical Jerusalem, that's because he's going to do something new in the earth for all the nations, not just Jerusalem. He's going to take away a religion that's centered on a place and introduce something centered on a person, Jesus Christ. So he says there's an end coming, but there's also, out of that, a beginning coming. And that's his message. And he says it for 40 years, faithfully, and no one listens to him, and everyone ignores him. And then in his lifetime, it happens. So he's actually still alive when his city gets destroyed by the Babylonians, when the last king gets killed. He sees it all. And so he prophesies for his whole life. No one listens to him. And then he sees it happen at the end, and he's vindicated. And so that's what we're going to see in the story of Jeremiah. So let's start Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 1. And today we're just going to read a few verses from chapter 1, talk about them uh, by way of introduction. Jeremiah 1 and 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in the little village of Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So that's a lot of names. There's eight personal names there. There's specific dates, and there's specific places. And so we just need to note that when we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about real people at real times in real places. And when we're talking about the Word of God coming, we talk about the Word of God coming to real people. He knows their names. He knows Azana's name. She's probably going to get used as an example a lot today, right? But he knows, her na- he knows your name, and he knows the place that you live, even if it's a little village like Anathoth or Shinfield, right? Don't move to Shinfield, by the way. The phone signal's awful. I know a lot of people in the church live there, but whenever I call any of them, I can't talk to them. What's the point in that? Then I have to go visit them. Then they have to cook for me. It's complicated. So he knows your name. He knows where you live, and he knows your times. He knows the time of your birth. He knows the time of your death. He knows the way your life is going to go before it happens. And that's some of what we're going to see today. And so the word of the Lord comes to specific people in specific places at specific times. And God knows these things, and he cares about them, and he's written them here in the book to show us. And what's one of the wonderful things here, verse 1, it says, these are the words of Jeremiah. Verse 2, it says, to whom the word of the Lord came. And so when we read this book, is it the words of Jeremiah or is it the words of God? Well, it's both. And our understanding of the Bible is like that. You know, the Bible is written, it's, it's more than a book, really. It's like a library written by 40 different authors at different times, including at least three murderers. You know, there's lots of different people that wrote different bits of the Bible, 
And they've all got a slightly different tone of voice and a slightly different context, but it's all the Word of God. And so you can say, this is the words of David, and it's the words of God. This is the words of Paul, and it's the words of God. And that's important when we read the Bible. It's all the Word of God. God can speak to us from any of it. It's all authoritative and powerful and full of spirit. But also, there's different characters with different voices. And so in the book of Jeremiah, we're going to be listening for what is Jeremiah's voice, as well as what is God saying. Does that make sense? Is that okay? And so, verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me. It's wonderful. It's like this, this it's hit, it's Jeremiah's call moment, but it's an intensely personal thing. I wonder if you ever had the word of the Lord come to you. Have you had this kind of personal conversation with God? God wants that for us. That's why he shows us. He doesn't show us this to go, wasn't Jeremiah amazing? He shows us this to go, this is how God talks to people. What about you? The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Just turn to the person next to you and say to them, before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. Do you believe that? You're known by God, even before your parents had the bright idea. <laughs> and before you were born, I consecrated you. What does consecrated mean? It means I picked which side you were going to be on. You know, everything in the world is good or evil. It's the dark side or God's side. And um, before you were born, God chose, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're in his story, God chose which side you would belong to. It wasn't your choice, it was his choice. And I appointed you, or I gave you to be a prophet to the nations. And so, the thing that God is talking about here is quite astonishing is the great before, before you were born, before you were conceived, God already had an idea about you. People often try and talk about what, what makes us us, what shapes us, how did we get to be who we are, right? And genealogists say, well, it's all about your family tree. So that's why we love these TV programs. Well, I don't know if you love them, but there's a lot of them on TV, so someone's watching them. Who do you think you are? you know, genetic exploration. I went to visit my mum, and she kept showing me these shows, like about people discovering who their real father was. I was like, mum, what are you trying to say to me? <laughs> she just loves the shows. So genealogists say it comes from our family tree. We know who we are because of where we came from, right? Psychoanalysts look at our childhood traumas and how we were parented and, and say that's what made us who we are. Geneticists look at our DNA and go, well, you, you are who you are because your DNA looks like this. So, so, in other words, so much of what shapes us wasn't down to us at all. You didn't choose where you were going to be born. You didn't choose who your parents were going to be. You didn't choose which family and which community you were going to... So, so much of your identity was given to you. 
whether you are happy about that or not. And God says that in the great before, he was active. I knew you. I chose you. I gave you as a prophet to the nation. So this flips upside down our ideas of trying to get to know God. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, I want to try and get to know God. I'll go to a church. I'll do an alpha course. Uh, Before anything, he knew us. Long before we ever got around to asking questions about God, God was questioning us. Long before we got interested in the subject of God, God was very interested in the subject of you. Before it ever crossed your mind that God might be important, God had singled you out as important to him. So we are known before we know. It's quite wonderful, eh? In the great before. We live in a world we didn't create. We didn't choose our family. We didn't choose our DNA. We didn't choose which country we were born in. This was all preordained for us. And today we are doing Thanksgivings, and it's not a chance. It, it's a chance about the um, Azana's name thing, but it's not a chance that we're looking at this today because we're giving thanks for babies that are born, knowing that God has a plan for their lives, yeah. that God, God knew them before they knew themselves. Uh, Eugene Peterson, writing about this passage, he says this, it's beautiful. My identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think about myself, and it is what God thinks of me. That means that everything I think and everything I feel is by nature a response. And the one to whom I respond is God. I never speak the first word. I never make the first move. Jeremiah's life did not start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's salvation did not start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's truth did not start with Jeremiah. He entered the world in which the essential parts of his existence were already ancient history. And so do we. So I was at a thing yesterday. Uh, I want to call it a party. It wasn't quite wasn't quite party level. I was at a gathering yesterday, right? There were some people there. And um, I got there late, and there were people standing around talking. And so I got my drink, and I kind of forced my way awkwardly into the circle. And I spent the first five minutes just trying to figure out what they were talking about so that I could join in and look interesting and look intelligent and have something to say, right? And that's what it's like to exist, to be born. You are born into a conversation that was already happening. And we spend a lot of our lives trying to figure out what's going on and what our contribution is. And God says, before you were born, I knew. Okay? And then there's this wonderful thing. I gave you as a prophet to the nations. And, and so I gave you away. Before you were born, I gave you away to a purpose. And um, I can hear Jeremiah objecting. Hang on. (laughs) I didn't choose to be given away to be a prophet to the nations. In fact, it sounds quite difficult. And Isaiah got sawn in half. I'm not sure I want that to happen to me. Thank you very much. Don't be so quick to give me away. I've got my inalienable, inalienable rights. 
I have a few decisions about my life that I want to make. Imagine God's response. Sorry, it's already done. You know, we've actually got uh, several people in our church who had arranged marriages. Many of our Indian brothers and sisters of a certain age who are part of our church community here in India had arranged marriages, arranged by their parents. And to us in England, that can seem unusual, perhaps. Well, what about choice? But our Indian friends would go, look at the stats. Arranged marriages work out much better than love marriages. And your parents, who are in their 50s, are much wiser about making a decision than you, who's 20 years old, right? And so there's an argument for it. I'm not saying we go there. But there's a giving away that happens. Now, God says to Jeremiah, I gave you away. I arranged this for you before you were even born. There's a sense of destiny. There's a sense of purpose. There's a sense of living for something. Verse 6. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. I can't be a prophet. I'm only 20 years old. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to, you, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So all prophets in the Bible have an objection. It's natural. No one, to no one in the Bible does God ever go, you're going to be a prophet, and they go, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> I'm the man. I was born for this. It never happens. You know, Moses, massive objection, 40-year-long objection, hiding in a desert, right? Gideon, massive objection. I'm from the wrong family. I'm from the wrong tribe. Isaiah, massive objection. Like all the prophets, that's standard. And it's standard for you today. If I'm saying to you, God's got a purpose for you that he had for you before you were born, it's standard for you to go, yeah, but I'm only dot, dot, dot. So for him, it was, I'm only a youth. You know, for Scott, it's definitely not going to be that. But I'm only from Dartford. Nothing good comes from Dartford, right? And I wonder what it is for you. But we've all got an objection. We all count ourselves out for something. I'm only a new believer. I'm only a pensioner. And our culture loves young people, not old people. I live with pension tension. I'm only someone who never got any GCSEs. How can God use me? I don't know. Did Jeremiah have GCSEs? No. I'm only new to the UK. What could I possibly have to say? I'm only a single mum. My life is full of everything. I'm only normal. <laughs> Whatever that means, right? I'm only ordinary. And, so it, and God says, yeah, that's true. You are only a youth, but... I will be with you. Yeah? Yeah, you are only normal, but God is with you. <laughs> so just turn to the person next to you and go, you are only... No, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> turn to the person next to you and just go, he is with you. Okay? Verse 9. And then the Lord put out his hand... And he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, 
I've put my words in your mouth. Can you imagine? So he's, he's heard the word of the Lord, but now he sees something and feels something in God. See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And so there's six verbs here, and four are negative, and two are positive. So there's four tearing down words, and two build. There's two, four endings words, and two beginnings words. So pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, and then build and plant. I don't know. Yeah, you know, we've got a few builders in the church. I don't know how it works if you're trying to build something new in a house. But I'd imagine you have to spend a lot of energy breaking down the old bit, the broken bit, before you start building the new bit. And it's, it's not for nothing that there are four breaking words and then two building words. Because often, getting rid of the old is what takes a lot of the energy. And when you've done that, there's space for the new to come. And um, to do something new is always a kind of critique of what's already old. You know, if you've ever been in a team at work, uh, and there's always been a way of doing things, and then some young kid goes, why don't we do it this way? And all the old people look at him like, shut up. We've been here 40 years, and no one ever thought of that, right? And so to do something new is always a critique of the old. Um, and the new and old have a fraught relationship. There's tension between old and new. But what is happening... In Jeremiah's ministry, and as we're going to see in our own lives as Christians, is that there's endings for what is old and beginnings for what is new. And the Word of God does both. And God said, I appoint you over nations, even countries you've never heard of, and your Word is going to do these things. And now we're in England, 2,600 years later, listening to the words of Jeremiah, and he's still having fruit because... His words are still going to break some stuff in our lives and build some stuff in our lives. And he'd never even heard of this small, cold island up in the north somewhere, right? And so, uh, Brueggemann, who was writing about this, he says this. The first four verbs are negative. They assert that no historical structure, political policy, or defense scheme can secure a community against Yahweh when that community is under the judgment of Yahweh. In other words, God can break anything he wants to break. If he doesn't like it, he can break it. If it's wrong, he can break it. If it's unjust, he can break it. His word is powerful to do that. And when he's got rid of what's wrong and what's broken and what's unjust and cleared the rubble out the way, then there's space for the new to emerge. And so, Verse 11, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? So now he's going to get his kind of first prophecy. So he looks and he says, I see an almond branch. I see an almond branch. It's almost an almond branch. It's actually some fake flowers with some sellotape on them. But you know. Then the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. So what do you see is the question God is asking. It's the question he's asking us. It's the question he's asking Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, I see an almond branch. Now, in their 
um, part of the world, in the Mediterranean part of the world, the first plant that flowers early spring is the almond tree. Okay, that blossoms first. In fact, I've got a photo that I took here in Greece in March um, of an almond tree blossoming uh, with its kind of white blossom. And nothing else has popped yet. Everything else is still in winter, but it pops first. And so for them, they were like, oh, if we see the almond blossoming, we know that spring has started. It's March. Spring has started, but we know that summer's coming. So it's a sign of hope. It's a sign. It's the, if the almond trees blossom, that means summer's on the way. It's, the, it's a sign of hope. Okay? And so when Jeremiah looks and he sees an almond branch, what he's saying is, I can see hope. I can see that summer's coming. I can see that change is coming. It's a, it's a sign of hope. And also in Hebrew, there is this kind of uh, word rhyming thing where an almond is a shuckhead and watching is a shockhead. So in other words, God has bars, is what we see here. It's like if, if in English, if in English you might say something like, I see a rose. Yeah, it's because Jesus rose from the dead. You know, it's, that, it's like a pun, right? And so the first thing he sees is an almond branch because hope is coming. Beginnings are coming. Summer's on the way. Amen? And then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north. So I see a big pot of like hot water on the fire and it's tilting away from the north and down towards us. And then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster will be let loose on all the inhabitants of the land. Because I'm calling all the tribes and all the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord. And they will come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance to the gates of Jerusalem, against its walls, and all around, and against the cities of Judah. And I will forsake my judgments against them for all their evil. I will declare their judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They've made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. So what God says here is he says... The tilting pot from the north is like the judgment of God coming into your country. It's like spilling hot water. It's a nasty thing, right? And, he's, and for these guys, whenever an enemy came to invade them, they always came from the north. Because the east is a desert. So enemies would come all the way around the desert and then come down from the north. And so they were always scared of what's coming from the north. And in the lifetime of Jeremiah, the Babylonian army will come from the north. And like a poured out boiling pot of water and will scorch the land and will bring the, the judgment of God and will we'll sack his city, Jerusalem, and will bring an end and will kill the king. And so this is about endings. So what are the two things you see? I see beginnings. I see hope. I see something new is going to happen. But I understand that first, there have to be some endings. Something has to die so that something new can live. There has to be judgment to clear the bad stuff out the way so that the good stuff can grow. And so there's beginnings and there's endings. And really, if you get anything today, just go home with a picture of me waving a flower and a pot around going, I went to this church and there was a nutter waving stuff around. Oh, I didn't understand what was happening. But all of our lives are lived between endings and beginnings. All of our lives are lived 
between stuff that needs to die and stuff that needs to live. Stuff we need to get rid of and new stuff that needs to happen. Sometimes the stuff you need to get rid of is good stuff. One of the guys who became president of the United States, when they said, what are you going to stop doing so you can make space for being the president? He said, I'm going to stop playing the violin. And the interviewer was like, yeah, but playing the violin is a good thing. And he's like, yeah, but I give it hours and hours and hours, and I need the time to focus on better things. Right? I don't know, maybe playing the violin is better than being the president of the United States. That's another thing. And so sometimes we need to get rid of good stuff in our lives so that even better stuff can emerge. Sometimes God wants to pour out hot water on the bad stuff in our lives to get rid of it so that new stuff can emerge. Baptism is what? Repentance and faith. Repentance is I'm, I'm getting rid of the bad stuff. I'm saying sorry for the bad stuff that I've done. I'm cutting off some things. Repentance and then faith is new life coming. Yeah, baptism is like you, go in, you, you die to your old stuff and then you come out into a new life. Coming to know Jesus is like that, yeah? We turn away from endings and then we get new beginnings. And Jesus himself brought an end to the old in his death. The death of Jesus where the, the wrath of God that we deserved is poured out on him. So that the new life that he brings can be born in his resurrection. So the death of Jesus is an end of something. And the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of something new. So why is the center of our faith? Endings and beginnings. And one day, friends, when God wraps everything up, we will see that there will be an ending to everything that is dark and broken and messy and unjust and painful. And then there will be a, a new world that emerges, a new life that emerges on the other side of that great judgment. And it will be beautiful and it will be leading towards eternal summer, right? At least I think heaven is going to be eternal summer. That's how I picture it, right? Swimming trunks, river of life, <laughs> eating some fruit on the banks of the... Hallelujah, let's go, right? So... All of our lives are lived in this tension. Things have to end. Things have to start. And the whole book of Jeremiah, all of his prophecies have these dimensions in it. You know, he goes to the potter's house. He sees a potter making something. The potter then breaks it down and makes something different. And, and God says, there are some things in your lives that need breaking down so that something new can emerge. It's endings and beginnings. So all the way through Jeremiah, we're going to hold these things. And it's a tension. It's a tension living between endings and beginnings. We feel it. We, see the, we watch the news. We see the brokenness and the injustice and the mess of the world. And we're like, come, Lord Jesus, do something new. We, we feel this tension between a kingdom that, that is promised but not quite here yet, don't we? And so then, verse 17, but, but you dress yourself for work, arise, and say to them everything I command you. Don't be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you. They shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. And so the last thing we see here is just, it's going to be hard. Like for Jeremiah, 40 years prophesying and not being listened to, and at times being attacked, 
being threatened with death. He gets thrown down a toilet at some point. I don't know what we'll do for a prop that week. Let's, <laughs> let's imagine. And so it's going to be hard. And God says, you are going to need resilience. You are going to need thick skin. You're going to need to get a little bit tougher. And um, he talks here about the strongest things that they knew in those days. Uh, a fortified city, a pillar made of iron, bronze walls. It's very close to, I am titanium. Yeah, it's like, what's the strongest thing you could think of? And, and, and so these were rare, expensive, uncommon, strong things. But they're also warfare things, battle things, a fortified city, a wall. And just like the city of Jerusalem will be besieged by the Babylonians and destroyed, so you will be besieged by the enemies of God, but you will not be destroyed. And in verse 8 and in verse 19, we have this refrain from God. I'm with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So again, turn to the person next to you. He is with you. Okay. What do we learn from this passage? Four things, and then we're going to sing together. Uh, firstly, faithfulness. So he has one message for 40 years, and he just keeps going, and he doesn't give up. And I don't know how long you've been a believer. I don't know what God has asked you to do. But don't give up. I know it's hard. Don't give up. I know you pray and pray and pray and sometimes it doesn't seem to happen. Don't give up. I know you're praying and believing God for your kids and they just don't seem to be coming back to him. Don't give up. And 40 years, one message. Yeah, this church has been going just over 20 years. We've got one message. Really, grace of God, right? Jesus loves Reading and he loves beyond. So another 20 to go for us. But <laughs> keep going. Don't give up. If you're tempted to give up and you're here today, at the end of the meeting, get someone to pray for you, to encourage you, to blow wind in your sails. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep believing. Jeremiah, 40 years doesn't happen, but then it does happen. And he's vindicated. Secondly, second thing we learn from this passage, emotion. We're going to see all the way through Jeremiah. He's a very emotional prophet. He talks honestly to God. He shouts at God. He moans at God. He writes a whole book called Lamentations, which is a book moaning at God. Right? And that's good. That's okay. We do that. God's not offended. He's big. He can handle it. It's like a little angry toddler just... Go in, it is dad, dad, I don't understand. And the dad can take it, right? And um, endings are painful. Jeremiah isn't, oh, Jerusalem ends and then something new is going to happen. Isn't that amazing? He's like, Jerusalem ends, that's tragic. Let's mourn it. Let's sit in that moment. And if you've got stuff in your life that is ending at the moment, that is painful, and we understand that. And it's a pastoral word, isn't it? Prayer is honesty with God. The church community is honest with each other. Is there a season ending in your life? Be honest with God. Be honest with people. It's painful. It's messy. Number three, 
uh, we've seen here endings and beginnings. And um, we're going to keep seeing it, but we live between justice and mercy, between the, the wrath of God that we deserve and the mercy of God that we don't deserve, between an end to our old life and new life happening. Just like Jeremiah lives between the wrath of God falling on Jerusalem and that whole old system ending, Israel-centered, one city, one nation, one special place. It ends, it's sad, but then God does something amazing in Jesus Christ. All peoples, all cities, all nations, the whole world. And so Jesus dies to make an end to sin, and he rises again to give us hope of eternal life. And Jesus is talked of as receiving the wrath of God, so just like the pot of hot water, Jesus has it poured on him on the cross. He doesn't deserve it. We deserve it. But he takes the wrath of God on himself and dies. He absorbs it on our behalf as a sacrifice. It's incredible, right? What love. But then when Jesus rises again, he's called the first fruits of all who will believe in him and rise again. So Jesus rises again like the almond branch, a sign of new life coming, and all of us one day who believe in him will rise again. That's why we're not afraid of death. Death is sad, it's an ending, but we're not afraid of it because there's a beginning that comes on the other side, amen? amen? And fourthly, finally, and perhaps the band could come, uh, we're going to see what it means to be a prophetic people. You see, in the Old Testament... What you have as an individual, don't look at them, look at me, I'm still talking. There we go. In the Old Testament, what you have as an individual, so Jeremiah as one person, you know, just me against the world. In the New Testament, that's worked out in a community where, where the church is a prophetic community. We have been touched by God. We have a message from God. We are like a fortified city that the nations beat against. We stand firm. In the message. So to be prophetic is to tear down what's wrong and to build what is right. And when a church reads the prophetic books, like the book of Jeremiah, um, a prophetic spirit is at work. God is talking. And we can expect over these next few weeks, as we read a prophetic book together, to become more and more of a prophetic community, to, start to tear down what's wrong in our world, in your workplace. What's wrong? What's broken? How can you stand against it? What does God want to do? How can you bring through something new? Amen? Amen. And I just want to end with this, and then we're going to sing. And it might sound like a change of gear, but I just think it's important. Um, in 1808, the Bible Society published what they called the Slave Bible. I don't know if you've ever come across this. You can see it in the Lambeth Palace Library. And what they had done is they'd edited out all the bits of the Bible. It's horrendous, what do you think? Like, absolutely shocking. They'd edited out all the bits of the Bible that they didn't want slaves to read. So they took out the whole book of Exodus. Because Exodus is about God delivering slaves from evil tyranny. And they didn't want their slaves to read that. So they took that. They, so it's a Bible, but they've taken whole chunks out. And one of the books that they took out of the slave Bible was the book of Jeremiah. Because they, they obviously didn't want slaves to read Jeremiah. So that makes me want to read it, right? You're like, what is there in this book that's so dangerous, that's so powerful, that's so radical? 
And it's because prophetic books stand up against what's wrong, stand up against injustice and say that is not okay. And we will find some things in Jeremiah like that, things that are deeply uncomfortable and deeply powerful. And so, you know, the devil is a bit like that. Sometimes he, he wants to almost take stuff out of our Bible. You can read all the nice verses about being blessed and living a happy life, but don't read the verses about changing the world. And so sometimes the devil is a bit like that with us. And I've been very keen for us to look at the book of Jeremiah because I really think that God is going to speak to us powerfully through this book.